So I take this opportunity to express my gratitude to you all for your respect and offerings that were made today. It's a very moving experience to be the recipient of such uh, generosity and devotion and goodwill. So it's a time for rejoicing and having a pleasant day. The teachings are not really my teachings, they're reflections from practicing according to the Buddhist teachings. And it's, you know, when I first, when I was a Samanera, before I met Nungpo Chai, started reflecting on the Four Noble Truths. I was a, a year retreat as a Samanera in a forest monastery in Nong Kai in Thailand. So it was, uh, I decided I'd make the Four Noble Truths a kind of, I'd try to prove whether it's true or not. Even though I had tremendous faith in it, I thought, it's, it's, is this just believing in the words that you get from somebody else from reading a scripture or because people said this is right and these are the words of the Buddha and you should believe them? Or I thought with the actual Four Noble Truths, it's a pointing in the direction at, at oneself, not at the words in themselves. The words are directional signs. So that's why I like to teach from that position from the Four Noble Truths because it's quite a perfect teaching in its own right, you know, but it's not to be just held in respect and chanted periodically and and it's like having a key to a prison cell and you just hang it on the wall and worship it. Well, it's the key to the prison cell is you have to put it into the door lock and move the key in the right way you get out of the prison. So that takes, that's up to, to us to do that, to take the, these teachings and, and prove to ourselves that they work. What is the end of suffering? Is there an end of suffering or is it just a hope that we all share, that every human being wants to find happiness or and, and then meeting Lung Po Cha a year later, you know, he was pointing to the end of suffering is here and to point to his, to his heart. The world ends here. And so this, this is very direct in the fact that he wasn't, Lung Po Cha wasn't pointing at himself as he's the end of suffering, but it's, uh, it's in the mind when we, when we uh, use awareness mindfulness to see the end of suffering, which is merely the end of a condition, a sankhara or a phenomenon. So over the years, I had insight quite early on, so I, you know, I didn't, you know, it, it, uh, it training with Lung Po Cha, he, 
learning to restrain my actions and speech with Vinaya, learning to to uh, be in, you know, to, to learn how to live in a society in a very refined way. Because Vinaya is a kind of a refinement about behavior. And so rather than just seeing it as another form of discipline that is imposed on me, which is one way I used to look at moral teachings in, in Christianity was to see that it was a helpful tool to to be aware of the impulsive nature that every human being has, you know, the the desires, sexual desires, the aversion, the anger, the the confusion, the restlessness and anxiety, endless anxiety and fear are, you know, common to us all. They're all the first noble truth. So by reflecting, when I t use this word reflecting, it's not like grasping. You're not, you're not, there's nothing to grasp. You know, if we grasp the words, then we're not reflecting on suffering, we're just believing in something called dukkha or translated as suffering. So it's not about grasping, but reflecting of being a, this puto, this knowing witness of the way it is. So this is my 55th pantha, so it, and 56 if you count the Samanera year. So that's a long time and I really am grateful for the opportunity to live like this, to live in such a fine way as, as I've been fortunate to encounter in this tradition. To spend one's life in, 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 with all the support to investigate Dhamma. So like here at Amaravati, you know, it's a perfect place for investigating the Four Noble Truths. You've got the support, generous support on material level. Ajahn Amaro is an excellent teacher and leader. And the teachings of the Buddha are, are here for us to use. They're very practical and very direct. So it is, you know, when, when I became a monk, I was about 31, 32 years old, and so I, I didn't know that much about Theravada Buddhism or Thai, Thailand in general. And uh, I had tremendous, uh, my interest in Buddhism arose through the Japanese Zen tradition. Because in the 1950s, um, there was a lot of interest, especially in the, on the west coast of the United States, in the San Francisco Bay Area, especially a lot of interest in Zen teachings, as the Americans had, or had been occupying Japan for 10 years after the war. And one of the really good things about that was the 
introduction of Zen Buddhism to the American consciousness. But before that, I didn't know anything about it. It was just a, a word I never heard. So Japan exported uh, to the United States a very profound teaching because Zen Buddhism is about investigating reality in its own particular style. So different ajans, different teachers have different styles, different emphases in that and practice. Uh, and all I can do is offer what I've learned, the kind of uh, wisdom that I've acquired through the practice, that the way I've approached this particular, the Four Noble Truth teaching, which is the very essence, the heart of Buddha Dhamma. In 1950, 55, I was in the U.S. Navy. We were in Japan, and I, that's where I encountered Zen Buddhism. Somebody gave me some books on haiku poetry, and they mentioned Zen, and so I became interested in pursuing that. Because it challenges us. And so reflective awareness is a challenge. It's not just any, you know, something that, uh, you know, we're used to, we're conditioned for being told what's right and wrong, what to believe, what's, what's not to believe. You know, so our ego, our personal sense of self that we have acquired that, you aren't born with an ego, and cultural conditioning, Thilabhata Bharamatha, very strong, you know, it's, it's still based on beliefs. What you're told is, you know, according to your parents, your religion, your particular cultural uh, patterns. And so you, we believe, you know, in the, in the we, we're caught up in the belief system that is imposed on us through modern education and modern science, even in modern psychology, it's pretty much a matter of believing uh, what the experts tell us. But in uh, Buddha Dhamma, it's, it's not about believing. There's no kind of doctrinal positions that are imposed on us. So it's like asking for the three refuges. It's not me telling you you have to take the refuges. It's it's in a kind of ceremonial style, admittedly, but the, the, the spirit of the three refuges is not kind of impose, make you take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, but requesting to use that, these this particular words, this this particular teachings not for belief, but for investigation. What, what is Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha in reality of here and now? And that takes reflection. You know, we can respect Buddhism in its many forms, uh, you know, and it's an ancient religion. It is a religion, it has a very strong past and uh, it's a lot of it builds on faith and belief, 
But this particular style that one developed with living with Lung Po Cha in Northeast Thailand was, was investigation, Batibata. So in, after 55, 56 years of investigating, I feel total trust in, the, in this teaching as a way to realize the end of suffering here in one's own mind rather than, you know, trying to fix everything in the world and, and in the planetary life. I mean, there's so much concern about uh, human rights and individual rights and, and climate change and trying to create, you know, a sense of harmony as a universal reality. Uh, you know, the, the world is like that. It, it, it can create these perceptions of perfection, like democracy is like a is a beautiful perception of where everything is just and fair, equal and right, and 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 everybody's uh, you know on the same page, and there's no conflicts, but supporting each other for the welfare of planet Earth is a very kind of high-minded ideal, not to be disparaged. But then it, it, you know, that's not where the end of the world is experienced, is realized. You know, where is the world right now for each one of us? Now, this is a reflective teaching when I ask you, where is the world right now? And you say, well, it's uh, what I see, what I hear, smell, taste, touch, that's the world. But in terms of Dhamma, the world is a, is a sankhara. So the, you know, the senses are impermanent. What we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, all our emotions, our cultural conditioning, our personal identities are all phenomena, conditions. They come and go and change according to other conditions. And this, you, you, you become the, the puto witness. You're witnessing change, not trying to change everything for the best and try to create perfect monastery where everybody is living with perfect equality and happiness and supporting each other in their practice uh, in the way that we imagine it would be, that we can imagine the very best monastery. But monasteries, you know, Amravati is a place for looking at suffering, reflecting on it, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to create perfect Sangha community uh, out of trying to, to um, make everybody happy and enlightened and complete in themselves, even though that's an ideal. But all we can do is for ourselves to, to really re realize the end of the world, the end of suffering is, is here. Here and now is not something in the future, you know, where the future 
is, is not real at this moment. The future is just imagination, perceptions that we create in the mind. So tomorrow, at this very moment, as we're sitting here, is, a, is a imagination, is an image, is a concept. And this is reflecting on the way it is. I'm not saying that tomorrow is, is you know, dismissing tomorrow as something, a delusion. But when we live our lives for tomorrow, for the future, then we're not reflecting on the way things are anymore. We're, we're believing that, that we can become enlightened in the future if we practice hard, surrender to the form, watch our minds, all the advice that is very available in Amravati, you know, so it's, the advice is all there, but the basic problem is the Sakya Ditti Sila Bhattabharamasa Vichikita. the three, first three fetters. So recently giving one of these recorded talks, you know, Ajahn Asoko labeled it, I think, therefore I doubt. <laughs> and I thought that was a very, very good subject. Because <laughs> we're all brought up to you know, the Descartes, I think, therefore I am, which is an interesting reflection. But where does doubt come from? You know, where, why do we doubt? Why do you doubt yourself? You know, why is it that you doubt that you're unenlightened and that you, you know, that you've got to get something you don't have or get rid of all the things that are wrong with you? Is it because you, you're thinking? The future is, is a promise, is a hope. Right now, at this moment, the hope for everything goes well in the future. Everything might go wrong in the future. It's possible, there's hope, there's also fear. So the future is, is uh, you know, really uncertain as a perception. It, it, you can't find happiness or the end of the world or the end of suffering in the future. It's impossible. And the past, this moment, is just what you remember. This morning at the Marquis, that's a, that's a memory now. This is a reflective awareness. It's not denying reality or saying it's it's not a critical reflection in about criticizing or judging. But it's reflecting right now. Who am I right now? Where am I right now? Where is Buddha right now? Dhamma right now? Where, where are they? These are questions. Because the questioning style is, is, it makes you investigate, reflect, rather than tell you Buddha is here in the temple, it's on the shrine in, in behind me. Or Buddha is a kind of mystical 
force in the universe, Buddha nature makes it sound kind of mystical and, and remote. And Dhamma, where, what is Dhamma right now? What is the Dhamma, the reality of Dhamma? Is, you know, is it ultimate truth or ultimate reality? These are words again, put in ultimate form. Ultimate truth is, a, you know, is a decent enough translation of Dhamma from Pali to English. But that's all it is, it's more words. It's not reality itself. It's not Dhamma, the here and now Dhamma that we're, that we are. We're thinking of it as some, in some terms of superlatives. So this is where this, this life is about investigating. And, you know, the, the second, uh, of the seven factors of enlightenment. The first factor is sati, mindfulness, and the second is dhamma vijaya, investigation. So it's right there in front of us, you know, in the very basic teachings of, uh, that we inherit from this particular Pali tradition. So it's not a matter of my take on Buddha dhamma or Lumpur Cha's special technique for enlightenment. These are perceptions that we might believe in or create or doubt. But doubt with self is the result of attachment to thinking. When you think about yourself as a person, you can't help but doubt. You know, just uh, the, the personality is, is so, you know, based on judgments, on, you know, value judgments that we create with thoughts, whether we're right or wrong, good or bad, capable or incapable, or right or wrong. You know, so as long as you try to define yourself as a person, you know, then that tends to be, you know, unless you're a tremendously self-confident egotist, a complete narcissist, you're going to doubt. Even complete narcissists need constant reinforcement that they're the best. You know, so <laughs> this is exemplified in modern day politics very well. <laughs> and, and so you need constant reference, uh, again, adulation and praise and reports of how brilliant you are, that, that shows, you know, still a lot of doubt because you don't, nobody knows who they are as a, as a personality because the personality changes, you know, according to other conditions. So when you're aware of your personality, it's not trying to get rid of it. You're not trying to have no personality and no thoughts, but you're, you're aware of thoughts rather than grasping thoughts or grasping them or rejecting them. Because thought is, rises and ceases very quickly in, in conscious awareness.
So it's important, you know, to to really use this opportunity that's made available here because, the, you know, it is a very fine situation. The support, you know, today, the incredible support uh, just to celebrate my birthday. Very moving experience. And uh, kind of the generosity just on a material level and, and goodwill, uh, you know, is, is greatly appreciated. But if I depend on my happiness and satisfaction to have this kind of experience every day, then, you know, it would change because I'm not going to get this kind of attention every day of my life till I drop dead at 120. So, what you find isn't in the end of suffering, is not, you don't need worldly praise. You don't need other people to define you or keep supporting your delusions. You don't need all the things that you believe you think you need as a separate person. The needs are clearly defined in the four requisites, shelter for the night, bungs of cooler cloth, robes, discarded cloth. So the, the needs of four requisites are good reflection about, because we do need sort of survival, you know, we need to eat food, we need medicine for illness, we need shelter, we need something to wear. So that's where the, it's, these four requisites are uh, found very helpful in dealing with my own greedy personality. My personality can be very greedy and needy kind of personality that, that, that I've observed. Learning to live in, in Thailand with, uh, you know, in, in the first years of, with Lung Ho Cha, you know, it was, I appreciated the fact that they, that he would accept me as a, as a monastic candidate. And so that I trusted. But there was so many, so many things I didn't understand. It was very confusing. The first year of monastic life at Wat Pa Pong, spent mostly confused by everything. Didn't know what they were talking about. Just kind of following the right tradition and uh, you know the right way they do things, what they consider is proper behavior, and try to adapt myself to that, and and being frustrated, not not quite knowing where I'm at in the, in the society. But in Thailand, it was very nice because they do respect monastics, especially uh, Western monastics. So you know they don't expect to. They'd, they'd never seen before a Westerner, an American, ordained as a Buddhist monk. So that was very nice to be, have that kind of 
uh, support and encouragement because I felt very encouraged in the first year even though I, I, I was uh, on the level of learning to live within a, a Vinaya structure as it was taught in Watpapong at that time was very kind of confusing. And the confusion is about thinking. You know, you think a lot, you're going to be confused. I think, therefore, I doubt. So the doubting is where thinking stops. You know, rather than trying to get rid of doubt, trying to get answers to all your questions and find solutions to your problems, you're investigating doubt. Because uh, like in Zen Buddhism, it's, you know, they use this doubting practice, asking these impossible nonsensical koans, these things that are, you can't resolve just through intellectual, clever intellectual answers to the koans. It's when you actually awaken to not knowing, when you are the puto, the knower of not knowing is like this. Doubting is like this. And your thinking mind will stop for a while, you know, because the thinking process usually depends on grammatical forms, habit patterns. So we, we don't notice the spaces in between thoughts or how words arise and cease. We, we're, we're always trying to define, figure out what I should do, what's next. Without realizing what we're doing. So, you know, we have good intentions and we make good wishes and so forth. And these things are, you know, we intend to do the best we can, but who are we? What are we anyway right now? And, you know, thinking mind stops. There's silence. So listening, when I talk about sound of silence, it's when you stop thinking. We try to think about not thinking doesn't work. Because you, even thinking about non-thinking is thinking. So you notice when you're not thinking, it's like this, and the question, the doubt, stops the, the rabid, habit patterns of just trying to get answers to questions, solutions of problems. And, and learning to really trust that, not knowing. Not being sure, feeling uncertain, insecure and the desire to find certitude or security in conditions or in ideas. You know, we're always desperately trying to, to support our belief systems or try to get rid of our fears and doubts. And that's the first noble truth of suffering is because we, 
we think and we believe our thoughts and we never question them. We judge them because you can have good thoughts and bad thoughts. You can have very kind of generous, meta-like, loving-kindness emotions where you love everybody equally. And then you can also, when the conditions arise, feel angry and frustrated and hate everybody. So emotions are dependent upon conditions. And that's a very strong identity, our emotional habits. What I feel, my view, my opinion, the sense of me is, uh, is so ingrained in our thinking pattern, our habit pattern of uh, this identity about me as somebody, you know, who needs something, needs respect, needs encouragement, needs help. Or maybe you're the opposite, I know it all, I know what everybody else needs and I'm right and they're all wrong if they don't agree with me. But who thinks like this? Who believes like this? This is a question there's no answer to. There's no answer to who. But it does stop the thinking. The, the habitual thinking patterns that you've developed in your life. And this, this reflection on where is the Buddha right now? You know, where? What is Buddha right now? If, this, if Buddha is more than, you know, just, is it a, just a word from uh, Pali, Sanskrit, Indian tradition? You know, because then it's, it's taken into the English context. We take refuge in Buddha. But the reflective on Buddha isn't about grasping the, all the ideas about Buddha that you might acquire, but taking refuge in the here and now. Buddha is, is a word for awakened conscious awareness here and now. So pointing to this, this understanding dukkha takes reflective awareness not belief that, that everything is unsatisfactory and suffering. And in that first year as a Samanera, I really had insights into the first and second noble truth. Just by reflecting in the situation I was in, I didn't have a teacher, I just had this book, Word of the Buddha, the basic teachings. But I didn't, you know, I could understand impermanence, anicca, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness or suffering. Anatta was like a, still a something, 
you know, like, uh, no self. No self, what, what does that mean? Because who's in, who, who suffers, who can see impermanence? What is it that knows impermanence, can observe any impermanence? You know, what is it that is aware of impermanence and suffering? And the answer was, always would come out me, because uh, that's the only subject I had any, I, I could cr create was a sense of, I'm the one that's doing this. I'm the one that is investigating. I'm the one that is observing and witnessing change in, in Nietzsche and impermanence. I'm the, the one that is meditating on suffering and realizing it on satisfactoriness is the nature of sankaras. That was getting beyond just belief in, the, in Buddhist teachings, it's investigating them. But what is the real subject? The imminent reality of each one of us is awareness. Here and now, you know, so it's not a mystery. And you, you get beyond the words and the, all the condition attachments and habit patterns that we identify ourselves with and identify the world and, and create reality around with the, with the cultural conditioning. What's left when you've let go of the world? What's left when you've let go of desire? When you've let go of the causes of suffering? There's still awareness conscious awareness all the time and you you, you notice this you're you, you know it's obvious it's not subtle even So in going to live with Lung Po Cha and his, that's why I like the, particularly the Bhutto Buddha practice, because suddenly the word Buddha means something helpful rather than just a belief that, you know, if you're brought up as a Buddhist, you, you don't doubt it. But foreigners, you know, we're brought up in different religions or no religion, and Buddha just another exotic word we we fit into the English context, but uh, it's but it's not just an empty word from some exotic place from some ancient time. Bhutto is awareness here and now, so it is a refuge, safe place to to take refuge in is. Awareness here and now, it's like this. Different teachers, different techniques, traditions, and so forth. 
you know, the techniques, uh, you know, can be useful or they can get in the way when we just attach to, to some kind of technique of meditation. Because we, we're not, you know, we, we trusted somebody else's technique rather than direct insight into the here and now. So you hear, you know, a lot of people have been meditating for years using some technique. And the technique's not wrong or anything, but, you know, they, they still see that if they keep doing a technique over and over again, they'll become enlightened. So the whole question of who am I never arises. They have utter faith in the teaching, the teacher, the technique. But is that what the Buddha, Buddha wasn't teaching a technique? You know, the Buddha Dhamma, the Four Noble Truths, isn't a technique. It's an invitation to reflect on something very common that none of us want, the suffering of attachment to the birth and death conditions that we, we are totally identified with. So like on birthday today, you know, you think of birth is the very cause of death. So what was born today, 87 years ago, was a physical form, infant form, conscious form, that's now, the form has survived 87 years, so it's about the form, you know, the birthday, the body is 87 years old. That's the form, the empty form. It's not a real person. It's not, you know, we, we operate on a conventional level for birthdays, but it's important to reflect on birthdays that they are merely tr cultural traditions and the bodies are like this, 87 years old, you look like this. You know, so you, you know, this, this is the way it is for a physical form. And if I identify with the form as what I am, what, you know, my, then what is, uh, you know, the future is, is about getting older which isn't a very uh, happy thought, you know. Old age, as I've told many people, no one understands it till you get old. So I don't expect the young monks to, <laughs> to un young nuns to understand old age. Because it's only when you grow old that you understand what it's like, it's like this. And this we can offer, you know, like we're old forms that have practiced in this tradition. So the teaching is not about the form, but the nature of form is 
anatta, non-self. Then what is the ultimate self? When we talk about who is it, what is aware of old age is like this. It's conscious awareness, isn't it? So that's, you know, what we are really, that's our true nature is this deathless reality, conscious awareness in the here and now. Is what we begin to recognize, not personalize, but that this is what, what knows that we don't know. That is at peace with itself. Consciousness isn't judgmental, isn't male or female, isn't a monk or a lay person, isn't a Buddhist or, or a Christian. Consciousness is here and now and anatta, non-self. You can't find it. You can't define it. But it's no mystery. It's like trying to find yourself as a person. You know, it changes, doesn't it? Sometimes you think, I'm okay. Other times you think you're, you're really hopeless or in a community, notice living in a community of monastics, we're very conscious of each other, what others think of us, very self-conscious about our position, our status within the structure, the traditional structure. All these are, is that what oneself is, is a monk or a nun? Is that what you really are or a lay person? or a good person or a bad person. You know, these, these can ch change according to other conditions. Conditions arise and in in like the weather, you know, it changes according to time and place. There's no permanent perfect weather. But what is trustworthy is awareness, mindfulness, sati, tamma vijaya, virya, piti, fasadhi, samadhi, upeka. So the nature of consciousness is upeka, ultimately. It's equanimity, it's balance, it's perfect, it's non-personal. It's not, it doesn't, nobody owns it. You can't find it because that's what you are, like trying to find yourself, trying to see your own eyes. You can't do it. You can't find yourself, really, because there is no self. So I offer this as a reflection. <laughs>